0: This is the Living Vertizano Podcast, brought to you by the Church at Riverstone, a fellowship of the Church of the Nazarene in Madera, California. Our episode today focuses on Matthew 25, 1-13, where Jesus shares a parable that continues his conversation on the Day of Judgment. Together, we will be discussing our responsibility to be prepared as we journey towards that time.
1: Hi everybody, I'm Nick.
0: I'm Natasha. I'm Brittany.
1: I'm Derek. And we are the Living Vertizontal Podcast. I'm back with you after taking this last week off. Hope you guys all enjoyed your 4th of July holiday week. Um, I know we did, uh, but we are excited to get back to our journey through uh, the book of Matthew. Um, as a, a quick reminder, since it was, you know, uh, over a week ago since the last one, Uh Previously, we focused on Matthew chapter 24, verses 36 through 51, where we continued Jesus's response to his disciples, uh, addressing when they can expect the end to come. Um, As a result of that conversation, we discussed the importance of keeping watch. Um, This week, we are going to turn to Matthew chapter 25, Um, And in this passage, Jesus, uh, instead of having more direct teaching, shares a parable, but even in this parable, he continues the conversation that he has been having on that day of judgment. And so I believe uh, today we have Natasha reading for us. So Natasha, would you read Matthew chapter 25, verses 1 to 13?
0: Yes. Chapter 25, verse 1. Here's the bridegroom, come out and meet him. Then all the virgins woke up and trimmed their lamps. The foolish ones said to the wise, Give us some of your oil, our lamps are going out. No, they replied, there may not be enough for both us and you. Instead, go to those who sell oil and buy some for yourselves. But while they were on their way to buy the oil, the bridegroom arrived. The virgins who were ready went in with him to the wedding banquet, and the door was shut. Later, the others also came. Lord, Lord, they said, open the door for us. But he replied, truly, I tell you, I don't know you. Therefore, keep watch because you do not know the day or the hour.
1: All right. Thank you for uh, taking us through that. Um, Let's just jump in as we always do. Uh, What are we seeing here? What are your thoughts or reflections on this?
0: Well, so before we start talking about what what's in the text, let's go ahead and take a look at the context really quick. As we were studying this past week, I realized there's a lot of questions about this passage that I don't know a whole lot about. I don't know a whole lot about the Jewish wedding ceremonies or didn't uh, at, at first reading. And so I spent some time, and all of us, I think, spent some time looking at what. It is exactly that this whole processional thing. What's Jesus is talking about when he's talking about these bridesmaids that have lamps, and and what's what's going on? And so, in the Jewish culture, there would have been a uh, kind of a three. Well, we'll say a three-step process. It's more complex than that. I think if you want to get into it, but we'll, we'll simplify it to a three-step process. So the first part is the betrothal. And so that would be where the, the, the match is made it's arranged. Usually the bridegroom's going to give some sort of gift to the bride. They meet at the bride's households and they'll sign papers and agreements. Um, and this kind of formalizes that they are in fact going to be married. And so at that point for, for, All legal purposes, they're basically married, but in practice, they're not actually living together yet. So then the bridegroom leaves the bride's house and he goes back to prepare a place for her at his father's estate. And usually this takes somewhere around a year or a little bit longer. And so, for example, this would have been where Mary found herself when she conceived by the Holy Spirit Jesus. And so she would have been in this this betrothal period, this waiting period, waiting for Joseph to prepare a place for her at his father's estate. And so that's kind of where, where we come on the scene at, at this with, with the the virgins waiting outside. So no one really knows the time that the the bridegroom is going to return except for the father of the bride. Even the bridegroom is a little bit unsure sure, because he'll contact the the bride's father and let him know that preparations have been made. And then the bride's father will approve of the preparations yeah. and see to it that the bride is ready to go. And so once all, everything is in place, only the bride's father really has the ability to say, yes, let's go for it. Yeah, it's time. And so he'll call... Um, call the bridegroom to come, but how long the bridegroom then takes to respond is kind of up in the air. And so at that time, they know they need to be waiting. They know they need to be ready because the bridegroom is on his way and he's going to be coming. And so it is the job of these virgins to be act as a part of the wedding processional, uh, to help call attention to the bride and to this, this wonderful celebration and the party. And, and so their their job essentially is to light the path in the event that this occurs in the evening. And often, often as I was reading, it seems like it does. That seems to be the normal time for showing. And so these, these bridesmaids or virgins would have been waiting outside with their lamps burning, waiting and waiting and waiting for this bridegroom to come. And so they fall asleep. They get tired. And then as he shows, shows up into the town, he starts to enter the area coming towards approaching the house and people are calling out and so they know he's coming and you know at this point the foolish bridesmaids are awaking and they're realizing oh my goodness we're not going to have enough oil mm. to walk all the way back with the processional back to his house where this banquet is going to take place we're going to miss it and we're not going to be able to light the way and so this is kind of the panic moment that's going on with them and so of course they're asking the other bridesmaids who had extra to share and they're like well no we can't share because if we share then we may not have enough to make it back to the processional and their whole purpose in being there is to light the path. And so if they're not there to light the path, they really don't have any business being a part of the processional. Mm -hmm. That's their job. That's their role. And that's how they're going to be identified to allow them admittance into the wedding banquet. Once they return with the, with the bridegroom and the bride back to the bridegroom's place that he has prepared for his bride. And so that's kind of the context that Jesus tells this story. And for me, it gave a lot of clarity because I didn't, I guess I didn't understand who these virgins were, why they were waiting outside or why they had lamps at all. And so that 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 helped me to read this uh, with a clearer view, I think, of what Jesus had in mind and what he was trying to communicate when he shared this parable with his disciples.
1: So then with these pieces, with this context in mind, with these this idea of of kind of what a traditional Jewish wedding time period uh, would look like. Uh, let's now look at Jesus's parable. What what might he be saying to us? What might he be communicating? what What's what's getting your attention?
2: I, I think the first thing that sticks out to me comes from from verse two, where he talks about the the wise and the foolish. If we look back to Matthew seven, he's already used this wise and foolish like. Um, this comparison between the two when he was talking about the builders. So building a house on rock versus building a house on sand. And mm-hmm. even in that, that passage, it seems like a a, a passage on preparation. Mm-hmm. And so yep. it's like Jesus is calling back to what he's already taught previously about this, um, you know, this comparison between the wise and the foolish and being prepared, whether it's building our house on a rock so that when the storm comes, it doesn't, you know it doesn't collapse versus building it on the sand. We see the same thing with the the wise um, virgins and the foolish virgins,
0: yeah. it seems like Jesus is really emphasizing this idea of the right question to ask is about how to be prepared and not so much about the times or the you know, the signs or any of those things, not about, you know, who will get to be in the kingdom of heaven or any of those questions, but really, how can you make sure you're ready? Mm-hmm. So I, I think that's a good call out, Derek, because I don't know that I would have put that together.
1: Just a, a thought that's been going through my head as I think about uh, our conversation from uh, two weeks ago. Um, and this idea of like Jesus is calling us to be watchful and that was through the story of like talking about uh, the owner of a house. And if he knew when the, when the thief was going to come, he would not like essentially have gone to sleep. He would have been watching for him and been ready for him. And I feel like I, I just get this sense that Jesus recognizing the story that he has just told realizes his audience and goes, Oh, they're going to miss it. Like they're going to think, Oh, now they can't sleep. Like, um, (laughs) And so he goes further with this parable to tell a story and, and notice how it's not the fact that the bridesmaids went to sleep that was problematic, right? Like, it, like you said already, Derek, it was the preparation that was the problem. And so the, the wise had extra oil, the foolish didn't. All 10 of them fell asleep, but those who were prepared, who were ready for the bridegroom's arrival, still got to go in even though they were sleeping when he was approaching, and so I, I just, I don't know, maybe some comedic relief. I feel like I started to sense as I read this thinking like maybe just a peek into Jesus going, all right, let me, let me take this a little further for you guys. Let me help you out here.
2: Well, it's almost like the five foolish lived a life of that whole period of being asleep because really mm-hmm. the, in, in their lack of preparation, it wasn't that, you know, he does point out that they, they all fell asleep, but Um, there was an element of not being alert the whole time, like Mm. almost, um, like life goes on. I've got time almost as if I've got time to get oil. I've got time to get oil. I've got time to get oil. And then before you know it, like grooms here. Oh no! I forgot to get oil. Like and how it's many midnight times? Midnight and there's no oil factories <laughs> like, open right now. I'm thinking like how many times I've made like preparations, like made a list, like I've got to get this accomplished, and that item like somehow is at the top, and it just keeps finding its way at the bottom, and then mm-hmm. oh, it's got to be done, and oh, I missed it. It's too late now.
1: <laughs> so I guess you saying that makes me think of an experience that we recently had um, where we were flying for um general assembly well for a conference leading up to general assembly and then general assembly um and we were at the airport and we were the first flight out of fresno that morning and so usually that's an okay flight to make sure you're probably going to be on time as long as they don't cancel it right um and it wasn't canceled but it it got delayed and it was like it was delayed 10 minutes and, but they didn't say it was delayed. It was just, we were 10 minutes late and they were like, Oh, we'll be boarding shortly. And they just kept saying that over and over and over again, uh, until it was like, what an hour, almost 45 minutes, something like that. Um, and we finally see members of the crew coming cause the entire crew was not there. The captain, like the pilot was not there. The, the steward stewards, stewardesses, stewardesses. steward. I, I, <laughs> Uh, they were not there. Um, and we're just like, what is going on? I really wanted my Starbucks, but I had forgotten it because it opened at five and the flight was supposed to leave at five, but now it's five 45 and we're still sitting out there, not bitter about it or anything. But, um, finally they come and we we get on the plane and we're getting ready to take off. And while we're kind of in the queue waiting to take off, the pilot comes over and apologizes for taking off so late and actually says, hey, uh, funny story, this is what happened. Uh, Not to make an excuse, but this is where we were at. And he then explained that all of them stayed at this particular hotel uh, that evening, and they woke up, and when it came time to leave, uh, they were supposed to be taking the shuttle from the hotel to the airport to drop them off, and the driver of the shuttle had misplaced the keys to the shuttle. And could not find the keys anywhere and and it it took and, and actually didn't ever find the keys as far as the, the airline crew knew because they actually had to wait for an Uber driver to come on the clock to then get from their hotel It's like trying to, to buy airport. oil at midnight. It's like trying to buy oil at midnight. There's nothing happening right there. So it just makes me think like, I, I mean, not, not trying to like disparage the poor, um, shuttle driver, but his job was to drive the shuttle and the time came for him to have to drive the shuttle to to do what he was there to do to deliver somebody from the hotel to the airport and he didn't have the keys
2: and if you don't if you wait until the like the last possible moment to look for the key and it's not there then you've lost for yourself no time to to locate it or make a plan to get them you, yeah. there
1: so so, I mean,
0: look at that—a modern-day parable. Yeah, whether <laughs> whether you're
1: whether you're one of the ten virgins and you don't have your oil, or you're a shuttle driver and you don't have your keys. Either way, uh, it would seem like Jesus is calling um, through the parable, as you have already pointed out, Derek, um, calling for preparation, calling for the need to be prepared for that time.
0: So I guess then the most logical next conversation is well what does it look like to be prepared what is Jesus wanting in this preparation well the conversation about the flights had me thinking
3: about um, when I take trips I plan pretty far in advance I'm I start packing sooner than my husband does um, I keep I <laughs> <laughs>
1: I'm not sure where the can judgment hear, was. Can, like, can was she judging that? you or was she <laughs> judging herself for can packing you, so early? Can you
2: hear those tires running me
3: over? <laughs> I'm just, I'm just saying. I am, I am somebody who's really prepared uh, when it comes to, especially if I'm flying. I want to make sure I have my license, I have my passport, I have my tickets, my keys for my car, make everything I need. I need. I want to make sure I have it. And if I feel that way about traveling. How am I, what does that say about how my preparation should be hmm. for for Jesus, for this coming? Am I making sure all my T's are crossed, my I's are dotted, and everything is in line? Or am I like, eh, well, it's going to take a long time. Well, sometimes my trips take a while before they get here, but I'm still planning and talking about it. We're figuring out what we're going to do. We talk about where we're going to go, how much money we're going to spend, where, how we're going to get there, all that stuff. I mean, we're already planning a trip for next summer. <laughs> like that's how far in advance we we plan these things. But am I equally putting that much mm-hmm. effort and time into preparing for Jesus? And when I think about preparing for Jesus, I'm thinking of learning the most I can about him by understanding how he thinks, to have his thoughts be my thoughts, to take everything that I think, everything that I do, take it to him before I do it. That living vertical that we've talked about almost every episode. Am I, lip, am I learning and growing and building those muscles of those Christ-like muscles to be prepared, or am I sitting around just waiting because it's he's taking a long time? I've got time
1: in thinking about what you were just sharing um i i think back to um this week's youth group uh that we just had and um one of one of the students uh we we actually watched one of the sessions from nyc i think it was session four that we watched um and then had some time just talking about what the speaker had addressed and and You know, what was Jesus maybe saying to them through it? And one of the teens uh, spoke up and she actually shared that she didn't really understand until more recently, like this idea of a relationship with Jesus and working on a relationship with Jesus beyond just like learning about Jesus. Like that's kind of where she thought like this life of Christianity was, you know, I just I learn about Jesus. I learn about God. I learn about faith And I allow that to inform what I do. And as long as it influences what I do and I do the right things, then like I'm living the right life. And she said recently, I've, I came to the realization that like, that's, that's not what this is about. That's not what Jesus desires of us. And, um, kind of talking about this preparation piece. She, she's like, I, I began, reading my Bible more and and spending more time in prayer and even journaling as a means to try to begin a conversation and a dialogue with Jesus, recognizing that he was a truly a relationship partner that we could share with each other. And then she went on to to talk about how it's it's as she thought about it, it's kind of like a a marriage. Like you first get married and obviously she's not married, but you know, she hears about this. She's like, you first get married and there's this honeymoon phase where everything's all brand new and it's all exciting and it doesn't take much work because like, it's just exciting. Um, And then there comes a point and it's different for everybody, but there comes a point when the honeymoon phase goes away and now it becomes work. Like now both parties have to be committed to continuing that relationship uh, for things to continue going well, and, and and to continue to learn more about the other, and, and as as life changes things for you to to relearn things about the other, and and continue to know them and continue to serve them, and so she's like, I I I realized that that's what it's like with Jesus. Like we we come to a place where we recognize who he is. We get really excited about it. We give our life to him. And that's kind of like the honeymoon phase. But then there's this time when that phase goes away and now it becomes work. And she's like, I mean, Jesus is, has already done the work on his side. Like he is there, he is loving us. He is committed to us. He is pursuing us. But too often we are not. um, Because we are trying to just either rem- reminisce about the honeymoon days with Jesus, or we just say, Oh yeah, well we got married and we just keep walking. Like, and it, that doesn't actually affect what we do going forward. And so she's like, "I I am committed to knowing him more, to learning who he is, and and sharing in life with him." And so when I when I think about what she was sharing with what you were just saying, Brittany, like that's what it looks like to be prepared in our life, to be committed to this lifelong relationship of understanding and, and pursuing Jesus. We know that Jesus pursues us. And just like you are committed to your trips and stuff and, and put on in all this time for preparation. You know, I know us sitting around this table, like we are in married relationships and we've been in relationships with each other for a while. And like, I know that I spend a lot of time trying to intentionally pay attention to what Natasha likes to, uh, what she doesn't like to what makes her smile to uh, little nuances of things that she would enjoy. And I, I intentionally pay attention to that and try to so that it can bring us closer. And, and I, I think that's what Jesus would desire of us, that we would be that intentional and that persistent in our pursuit of him. That's what it looks like to be prepared. Not not that we, you know, there's going to come a point where it's like, well, I'm prepared. And now I don't have to do anymore. Right. But it's like, I need to stay in this perpetual state of preparedness where I'm always pursuing him, always trying to know him more.
2: Is it possible that part of the reason that that it is easy to fall into this place that the foolish virgins were at is because we don't focus on the kingdom being at hand now. We talk like the kingdom to come and not that the kingdom has already come. Like I feel like that 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 is a possibility of like why we kind of fall into that you know that lull or that like ability to be laxid lackadaisical because we're like looking right. looking ahead and not living in the here and now because like Christ wants those things to be present here and now, not just to be something to look forward to into the future. and part of the journey of being prepared is living in the moment mm-hmm. and not like, missing what's going on around us.
1: You know, Derek, as you're saying that, this idea of, you know, living as if the kingdom is here now versus living as if the kingdom is somewhere far off, it it makes me think back to uh, experiences that I have had as a youth pastor with teens in my youth group. And I, I think to one specific situation where the, the student... Um, you know, we we had been having a conversation about it, what it means to live in a relationship with Jesus and, and what it lo- could look like, and and what He desires of us, and and ultimately, as we had this conversation one night, we had broken off into our group uh, into smaller discussion groups, and she, her response to it, um, to this conversation was. I have too much of my life still to live. There's too many things that I want to do. I'm just a teenager. I have time to make this a decision like this later on. And that broke my heart because, I mean, uh, as made evident in the story, we don't know what the time is. We, we don't know what the time is. And so that, that tore me up that that was kind of her mentality. And I think about a, a, another student who... Uh, I have an experience with who was a part of one of our youth groups as well. And, and we, again, were having a similar conversation about what it looks like to live like Christ and what, what he has invited us into. And that evening her response was, I have time to forgive these people right now. It's just too real and I'm not interested. That's not what I want to do. And we didn't see her. Uh, after that for a while, um, still kind of kept in contact with her, but she wasn't really coming to the youth group as regularly as she had been. Uh, and the the thing is, these two stories, they have the same sentiment carried with them. Both of them, essentially, their their idea was we have time. One of them, she's still alive, and she has time and and I I pray that she will make a decision at some point to say you know what I do want to live in a relationship with Jesus I, I've got enough of my life behind me now I, I want to live the rest of it for him but one of them that's not her story she is she tragically died and I don't know you know like I said she she had kind of no longer been attending our youth group. And so I don't know where she was at, but I know one of the last conversations I had with her was one where she said she wasn't interested in extending forgiveness to others. She wasn't interested in, in walking in line with in relationship with Jesus. Right. And so I just, I I think about what you said about this idea of, of living as if the kingdom is here and now versus far off And those two stories just come crashing into my mind because it is, it's, it's tragic, but it is, it is like of the utmost importance that we recognize that, that we are called to be a kingdom people right now, not later on, because nobody is promised later on. We have no idea what, what tomorrow is going to bring. We have no idea what the next minute is going to bring. And so every moment of every day, every opportunity we have is an invitation to be living in preparation for standing face to face with Christ.
0: And I think not just for us, but also for others, right? right. Like we have to recognize the, the responsibility we carry. Like this isn't just, I mean, this can be a scary thing to think about, but I don't sure. think that's Jesus's intent. No. For no. the disciples, what I don't think his intent was to scare them into following him. I think that's he just not love. No, I think <laughs> he wanted them to understand the fullness of the responsibility to which he was calling them. Mm-hmm. And so, I think as we read this and as we listen to these stories, I think it's important for us to keep that at the forefront: is that our motivation has to be love, or as you said, or it's not, it's not right motivation, which means it's not right heart anyway.
1: And it's not a right relationship. Like it's not the relationship that Jesus desires of us. And Jesus, especially here in Matthew, like throughout Matthew is all about the heart and the heart being right, not the actions, the heart. And so, yeah, I I think that's, that's definitely a good call out. Very important. And no way were those stories to scare, but those stories were for me, just kind of real life examples of, of what you voiced Derek about this idea, the, the contrast of living as if the kingdom is here versus living as if the kingdom is, is somewhere far off in the future. So I know we started this conversation with uh, some context pieces about uh, traditional Jewish wedding, feast, banquet, betrothal, three-part whatever. <laughs> <laughs> um, but and And Jesus in this parable, in, in the small amount of words that he uses, walks pretty well in line with a traditional Jewish celebration of a wedding until the very end of this parable. Um, Traditionally, once the um, bridegroom comes back and they take their journey with the lights where the way is lit, they will go back and have a party. Um, And they will go through a door, right? A door is mentioned here. They will go through a door, but traditionally that door is left wide open because wedding feasts are just that.
0: Seven days (laughs) of...
1: Seven days of just awesome, having fun, partying, enjoying the, the festivities. And so that door would be open because everybody and anybody is welcome to come and celebrate. But Jesus, who has walked perfectly in line through this parable with Jewish tradition, begins to divert from Jewish tradition at this point because he says the door is shut. And I think he does that very intentionally to, to signify the, the importance and the, um, the weight of preparation or not. And he says ultimately, right? those who are prepared get in and then that door is shut and those who weren't prepared do not get to come in. Um, and and so that that just goes to further um, emphasize just how important it is in this life for us to live like the kingdom is here now, like you said, Derek, and for us to live a life of preparation being ready for the return of the bridegroom. And, and that looks like, I mean, it's not just about being ready for that specific day of returning for the bridegroom, right? Like every, any day could be the day that he returns. So every day is a day that we are prepared for that moment. And so When I think about that, and and earlier, uh, I believe, Natasha, you asked, so what does it look like for us to be preparing? What does it look like for us to be prepared? And I think about the bridesmaids, uh, the virgins, and what their role was in the celebration. Their role was to light the way, to make sure there was light on the path from the journey from the bride's house to the bridegroom's house. And guide everybody along that way. And I think back to Jesus's um, identification of his followers in, I believe it's Matthew five, uh, where he says that you are the salt of the earth and the light of the world. Like, as Jesus's followers, as his his disciples, we are to be those who are lighting that path. So when we talk about what it looks like for us to be prepared, I mean, I think you also brought this up just recently, Natasha, is like, yes, there's an element of prepared for ourselves, right? we got to make sure the oil is there so we can light the way. So we've got to make sure the relationship that we have is there. So that way it's true and authentic and real, but it's not just for me to experience it so that I can light the way for us to journey as we move towards that day of the bridegroom's return so that way those around us can see and also safely walk that path and and find light as we journey to that day.
0: I had one thing that was kind of interesting to me as you were talking about the door being shut. It it actually says that the door was shut. Mm-hmm. It doesn't say that someone shut the door. And I think mm-hmm. we often when we think about judgment, we we assume that God is shutting this door that 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 Jesus is shutting this door. but in reality we know that our decisions hmm. to live in unholiness and unrighteousness, to, to refuse relationship, we know that that is actually the breaking of the relationship. And so really, even though we're not intentionally explicitly shutting the door, the door will be shut. As a direct result of our actions, not of a judgmental, our angry, heart, yeah, our
1: choices.
0: But not as a result of a judgmental, angry God. Hmm.
2: If we think back to that Matthew passage that I brought up earlier in, in seven, where he talks about the wise and foolish, that really is like what happens. Like they chose where to build the house, right? The, the builder right. chose where to build the house. The consequence came because of, as their, a result choice of their choice of where to build it. And so that's what leads to the door being shut. Not that God's saying like...
1: it's Not that he slammed the door in their face as they were walking their, up. Their the choice was, was the
2: the shutting of the door. Hmm. I mean, really, I think it's an emphasis on this, this being an individual journey. Like nobody else is going to shut the door on you. We can only shut the door on ourselves. I can't shut the door on Brittany or on Nick or Natasha. Like, I can't do that but I can, by the choices I make, shut the door on, on myself.
0: I think that's kind of what, what Jesus is begging his disciples here not to do, is don't miss. Don't, don't miss this. Don't. Make sure that your your lamp is ready. You have enough oil. You are prepared so that you don't shut the door, so that you don't miss the door.
1: And so I guess the, the question that maybe we can leave with, leave listeners with leave us with is so then what does it what might Jesus be inviting us to today or maybe this week or throughout this month this year whatever let's start small today what might Jesus be inviting you to in preparation for the kingdom here and now
0: Be sure to follow the Living Vertizana podcast to stay current on all our new releases. To learn more about The Church at Riverstone, visit us at thechurchatriverstone.org.